0: Section nine of Gafantia by Charles Francois Tipchena de la Roche. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twelve The System of an infinite number of plans of different works that I saw drawn on the leaves of the fantastical tree, I remember three. In the first, the point in question is very abstract but treated in so a singular manner that perhaps it will not be disagreeable to give here a slight sketch of it when i have examined matter it has appeared to me that it could not think and i have readily admitted beings purely spiritual it is true the least ideas of such substances have never been formed this proves the sagacity of man does not reach very far but does it prove there is nothing beyond when i have considered the animals i have not been able to help thinking them intelligent and that so much ingenuity was not without some understanding they are therefore said i provided with a spiritual substance but what these insects these worms these microscopical animals who increase without numbers in the shortest space have they each a spiritual that is to say an unchangeable immortal soul I DO NOT IMAGINE ANY SUCH THOUGHT EVER ENTERED INTO A SOUND HEAD. THEN CALLING TO MIND THAT INTELLIGENT BEING DIFFUSED THROUGH THE WHOLE EARTH, AND PERHAPS FARTHER, THAT IMMENSE SPIRIT OF WHOM SOME ANCIENT PHILOSOPHERS HAVE TALKED, UNDER THE NAME OF THE UNIVERSAL SOUL. I HAVE THOUGHT THAT, WITHOUT MULTIPLYING INFINITELY SPIRITUAL SUBSTANCES, THAT SOUL WAS VERY PROPER TO SUPPLY THEIR PLACE, AND ALONE SUFFICIENT TO GIVE LIFE TO ALL THE ANIMALS. I have therefore embraced the opinion of the ancients, but with one restriction. They were persuaded that every thinking organized being is animated by a particle of the universal soul. That cannot be. If this soul is capable of perceptions, it is spiritual and indivisible, and if it is indivisible, it cannot separate itself from any part to go and animate any being whatever if this spirit informs different bodies it is because it operates at the same time in different places and not because it sends anywhere some emanation of its substance farther the ancients believed that man like the animals derived from the universal soul all the intelligence he is endowed with another mistake if we consider a man that hidden principle which carries him so efficaciously to follow the impressions of sense THOUGH EVER SO REPUGNANT TO REASON, WE SHALL AGREE WITH THE ANCIENTS THAT THIS PRINCIPLE MUST BE THE SAME WITH THAT WHICH ANIMATES, RULES, AND DIRECTS THE ANIMALS. THE PURE SENSITIVE NATURE OF THE UNIVERSAL SOUL IS VISIBLE IN IT. BUT WHEN I PERCEIVE IN MAN ANOTHER AGENT, WHICH TENDS TO SUBJECT ALL HIS ACTIONS TO THE RULES OF JUSTICE, WHICH SO OFTEN OPPOSES THE SENSES, THOUGH SELDOM WITH SUCCESS, which even when it succeeds not to hinder the sin never fails to sting him with remorse and repentance i cannot help thinking that besides the universal spirit there is in man another principle of a superior order a principle known by the name of rational soul it is manifest by the clashing between the passions and reason that there are in us two contradictory beings which oppose one another if i may be allowed to compare things of so different a nature i should say that everything which partakes of the universal soul is like a sponge soaked in water and immersed in the sea and if moreover the body is endued with a reasonable soul which is the case of man it is like the same sponge soaked in water but in which a drop of oil has found its way in fine the ancients believed that the universal soul was diffused everywhere but neither can that be perhaps it pervades the terrestrial globe or it may be the whole solar system or even farther but still it is certain it has its bounds it is god alone that fills immensity but how shall the existence of a thinking being be admitted which bounded as it is has however so prodigious an extension what ideas can be formed of its capaciousness and its limits HOW CAN IT ANIMATE SO MANY BODIES PHYSICALLY SEPARATED ONE FROM THE OTHER, AND FORMING SO MANY INDIVIDUALS? LET US FATHOM, AS FAR AS IN US LIES, THESE DEPTHS OF OBSCURITY. SINCE SPIRITUAL SUBSTANCES HAVE NO SOLIDITY, THEY ARE PENETRABLE, AND TAKE UP NO ROOM. FROM THEIR PENETRABILITY IT FOLLOWS THAT SEVERAL SPIRITS MAY EXIST IN ONE AND THE SAME PLACE, and that a body may also be in the same place. From their taking up no room it follows, that they have neither length, nor breadth, nor depth, that they have no extension, properly so called. But still a spirit is a real being, a substance. Though it takes up no room, it is necessarily somewhere, and though it has no extension, properly so called, it has necessarily its bounds. So in a metaphysical sense, all spiritual beings may be said to be more or less extended to contain and to be contained and then we may turn to our companion of the sponge penetrated by a drop of oil impregnated with water and immersed in the sea on the other hand by some virtue of the laws of combination the result of the unions necessarily differs from the substances that are united AND IT DOES NOT APPEAR THAT THE SOUL AND THE BODY SHOULD MAKE AN EXCEPTION. WHEN THE SPIRIT AND MATTER ARE UNITED, THINK NOT THAT THE SPIRIT, THE SAME AS BEFORE. IT IS, IN SOME MEASURE, MATERIALIZED. THINK NOT THE MATTER SUCH AS IT WAS BEFORE. IT IS, IN SOME MEASURE, SPIRITUALIZED. FROM THIS MIXTURE RESULTS A NEW BEING, DIFFERENT FROM PURE SPIRIT, THOUGH IT RETAINS ITS NOBLEST VIRTUE, DIFFERENT FROM BRUTE MATTER though it partakes of its qualities it is a particular being forming an individual and thinking apart in fine it is such a being as you that are reading such as i that am writing therefore what perceives in us is properly speaking neither the universal spirit nor the rational soul nor organized matter but a compound of all three JUST AS WHEN A LION ROARS, IT IS NOT THE UNIVERSAL SOUL THAT IS IN A RAGE, IT IS THE COMPOUND OF THAT SOUL AND THE BRAIN OF THE LION. HENCE IT COMES THAT EACH ANIMAL FORMS A SEPARATE THINKING INDIVIDUAL, THOUGH ALL THE ANIMALS THINK ONLY BY VIRTUE OF ONE AND THE SAME SPIRIT, THE UNIVERSAL SOUL. LET US PROCEED WITHOUT LOSING SIGHT OF THE FAINT LIGHT WHICH GUIDES US THROUGH THESE DARK PATHS we have seen that to form an animal there needs only a combination of organized matter and the universal soul and to form a man there must be another union of organized matter universal spirit and rational soul if the universal spirit was wanting ever obedient to the dictates of the rational soul we should see none but the virtuous and spotless men such as are nowhere to be found IF THE RATIONAL SOUL WAS WANTING, ABANDONED TO ITS INSTINCT OF THE UNIVERSAL SPIRIT, WHICH ALWAYS FOLLOWS THE allurements OF SENSE, WE SHOULD SEE NONE BUT MONSTERS OF VICE AND DISORDER. THE RATIONAL SOUL IS UNITED TO THE HUMAN BODY, THE INSTANT THE MOTION ESSENTIAL TO LIFE IS SETTLED THERE. IT IS SEPARATED THE INSTANT THAT MOTION IS DESTROYED, AND, ONCE SEPARATED, IT IS KNOWN TO RETURN NO MORE. IT DEPARTS FOREVER and enters into a state of which there is to be no end the universal soul is united and separated in the same circumstances but it is not always separated for ever let in any person the motion essential to life after having totally ceased come to be renewed a thing which every physician knows to be very possible and what will be the consequence the rational soul which departed upon the ceasing of the vital motion cannot return but the universal soul always present cannot fail of reuniting with the organized body set in motion again the man is dead for his soul is separated from his body he preserves however the air of a living man because the universal soul is resettled in his brain which it directs tolerably well Such to you appears a person perfectly recovered from an apoplectic or lethargic fit, who is but half come to life. His soul is flown. There remains only the universal spirit. Excess of joy or of grief. Any sudden opposition may occasion death, and does occasion it, in fact, oftener than is imagined. Let a fit of jealousy or passion affect you to a certain degree, your soul too strongly shocked quits its habitation forever and let your friends say what they please or say what you will yourself you are dead positively dead however you are not buried the universal soul acts your part to the deception of the whole world and even of yourself do not complain therefore that a relation forgets you that a friend forsakes you that a wife betrays you alas PERHAPS IT IS A GOOD WHILE SINCE YOU HAD A WIFE, OR RELATIONS, OR FRIENDS. THEY ARE DEAD. THEIR IMAGES ONLY REMAIN. HOW MANY DEATHS OF THIS KIND HAVE I SEEN AT BABYLON? NEVER, FOR INSTANCE, DID CONTAGIOUS DISTEMPER MAKE SUCH HAVOC AS THE LATE pious BROILS. IT IS TRUE, THE BABYLONIANS ARE SO CONSTITUTED THAT THEIR SOUL SITS VERY LOOSE. THE LEAST SHOCK PARTS IT FROM THE BODY. AND IT IS CONFIRMED BY OBSERVATION. CALL TO MIND THEIR NOTORIOUS QUARREL ABOUT MUSIC, THEIR RAGE, THEIR FURY. HOW FEW HEADS WERE UNTOUCHED. THEY ARE MAD, SAID SOME REASONABLE PEOPLE, BUT FOR MY PART I KNEW THEY WERE DEAD. GOD REST THE SOUL OF THE AUTHOR OF THE PETITE LETTRES, A DE GRAND'S PHILOSOPHIES. HE HAD LONG BEEN DECLINING, AND AT LAST DIED SOME MONTHS AGO instantly the universal soul, possessed of his brains, dislodged some shreds of verses, jumbled them together, and framed that lifeless comedy, the indecency of which gave offence to all the Babylonians that remained alive. I shall now speak of the signs by which the living may be distinguished from the dead. And, doubtless, the reader sees already what these signs may be. To behold wickedness with unconcern— to be unmoved by virtue, to mind only self-interest, and without remorse to be carried away with the torrent of the age, are signs of death. Be assured no rational soul inhabits such abandoned machines. What numbers of dead amongst us? You will say. What numbers of dead amongst us? Will I answer. As there are signs which declare that such a particular person who thinks himself and whom you think full of life, is however deprived of it. So there are signs which show the ravages these concealed deaths have made in the world. For instance, there must have been, of late years, a great mortality among the learned. For if you observe almost all the productions of modern literature, you will find only a plain with words, destructive principles, dangerous assertions, dazzling hints. Alas, Our authors are manifestly but machines, actuated by the universal soul. And very lately have we not had fresh proofs of this mortality. What is meant by these libels unworthy of the light? These whens, these ifs, these what-do-you-calls, these wherefores, and I not know how many more with which we are deluged. Be not persuaded that rational souls are capable of such excesses i will conclude with opening a door to new reflections suppose a man like so many others vegetates only and is reduced to the universal soul i demand whether the race of such a man is not in the same state if so i pity our posterity rational souls were scarce among our forefathers they are still more so among us surely there will be none left among our offspring ALL ARE DEGENERATING, AND WE ARE VERY NEAR THE LAST STAGE. CHAPTER Thirteen, LETTER TO THE EUROPEANS THE SECOND OF THE WORKS OF WHICH I REMEMBER TO HAVE SEEN THE PLAN DELINEATED ON THE LEAVES OF THE FANTASTICAL TREE WAS DIGESTED INTO THE FORM OF A LETTER ADDRESSED TO ALL THE NATIONS OF EUROPE, THE SUBSTANCE OF WHICH IS AS FOLLOWS. O YE POWERFUL NATIONS OF EUROPE, nations polished ingenuous learned warlike made to command the rest nations the most accomplished upon earth the times are come your profound schemes for the happiness of man have prospered you enjoy it at length and i congratulate you upon it in nature's infancy those uncivilized ages wherein men wandered in the fields were fed with the products of the earth a perfect security easy pleasure profound peace or rather languishing indolence benumbed all the faculties of the soul but when the sweets of property had flattered the human heart when each had his enclosure and could say this is mine then all was in motion a man had too much of one thing and too little of another he gave the superfluity for what he wanted and trade was established it was at first carried on among neighbours Then from country to country, and at last from one of the quarters of the world to the other three. From that time, mankind have formed but one numerous family, whose members are incessantly employed in cheating one another. The spirit of distrust, fineness, and fraud have displayed all the springs of the soul. The talents have shown themselves, the arts have taken birth, and men begin to enjoy the full extent of their understanding how well these profound specialists have conjectured who have told us would you have a state flourish encourage populousness for real strength and riches consist in a great number of citizens to encourage populousness enlarge trade more and more set up manufacturers introduce hearts of every kind and to consume superfluities call in luxury Let the names of those who have opened this admirable way be carefully preserved in our calendar. It is true by following this method you have missed your aim, which was populousness. What fortune soever a man may raise is consumed by the boundless expense of luxury, which always exceeds the revenues. There is nothing left for the education and settlement of children, and means must be used to have a small number, or even none at all long races suit only those remote times when your ancestors plentifully furnished with necessaries were so unfortunate as to have no idea of pageantry it is no wonder if people so barbarous as not to know silk lace tea chocolate burgundy champagne should so increase in the northern regions as to overrun like a torrent all your countries should found monarchies and dictate laws which are revered to this day but what signifies populousness and multitude rejoice o ye fortunate nations for you have coffee and snuff cinnamon and musk sugar and furs tea and china how happy are you and how composed should your minds be it is true toils hunger thirst shoals storms sooner or later destroy these insatiable traders who transverse the seas to bring you these precious superfluities but with how many advantages are these petty inconveniences repaid the face of europe is entirely new even to your constitutions all is changed thousands of quintals of spices circulate in your blood carry fire into your inmost nerves and give you a new sort of being neither your health nor your diseases are like those of your forefathers their robust constitution simplicity of manners their native virtues are they comparable to the advantages you enjoy that sensibility of your organs that delicacy of mind and body whose universal lights those vices of all kinds what will it be said are vices also to be reckoned among the actual felicities of europe Yes, without doubt, it is not daily proved that virtue heretofore might be useful to the prudent economy of your ancestors, but that for enlightened citizens who no longer walk by the old rules, vice is absolutely necessary, or rather changes its nature and becomes virtue. Another advantage that you owe to the depth of your policy and extensiveness of your trade is that perpetual occasions offer to show your courage and to practise your military virtues when formerly your countries were under that vast dominion which swallowed up all the rest they sunk into indolence you had only short wars and long intervals of peace everything languished but since out of the wrecks of that unwieldy empire a hundred petty states have been formed everything has revived THE EUROPEANS HAVE INCESSANTLY QUARRELED AND FOUGHT FOR LITTLE SPOTS OF LAND. THE GRAND ART OF HEROISM IS RETURNED, THE ART SACKING PROVINCES AND SHEDDING BLOOD. AND THAT BALANCE OF POWER SO MUCH TALKED OF IS AT LAST ESTABLISHED, WHICH PUTS ALL EUROPE IN THE ARMS OF THE MOTION OF THE LEAST OF ITS PARTS, AND BY MEANS OF WHICH A SINGLE SPARK IS SUFFICIENT TO SET THE WHOLE EARTH IN A FLAME. LET US NOT REGRET THOSE TIMES SO PRODUCTIVE OF WARRIORS. WHEN COUNTRY HEROES, EACH AT THE HEAD OF TWO OR THREE HUNDRED VASSALS, CONTINUALLY HARASSED ONE ANOTHER. THE SEEDS OF DISSENSION, WHICH WERE GROWN SCARCE IN YOUR CLIMATES, HAVE BEEN SOUGHT IN THE FARTHEST PARTS OF THE EARTH, AND FROM THE BOSOM OF THE TWO INDIAS, COMMERCE HAS BROUGHT FRESH SEEDS OF enmity, DISCORD, AND WAR. THESE fertile SOURCES ARE NOT EXHAUSTED. THERE STILL REMAIN COUNTRIES TO BE DISCOVERED o ye indefatigable nations is your courage abated what should you confine yourselves to your late progresses as if there remained no unknown lands will you never go and hoist your standards and build forts directly under the poles rouse yourselves there are still left riches to plunder countries to waste blood to spill but why should you cast your eyes on such objects are not your possessions immense is not your luxury carried to the utmost height are there still new vices to be introduced among you and do not you begin to shake off the troublesome yoke of every sort of duty without doubt you are very well nor were you ever better the little way you have to arrive at perfection will soon be gone over When modern wisdom, which timorously conceals herself still in the shade, shall appear in broad day, when she shall have raised her proud head, and shall see all Europe at her feet, universally adopting her maxims, then you will have neither religious nor moral principles. You will be at the summit of felicity. CHAPTER Fourteen: THE MAXIMS the third work of which i remember to have seen the sketch on the fantastical tree was entitled rules of conduct for the eighteenth century addressed to a young babylonian who was coming into the world it contained the following maxims every country has its customs every age its manners and in human wisdom the only unchangeable maxim is to change with the times and places the most unquestionable maxim of the babylonians and of the present times are such as these to have true merit does not much signify but to have small talents is essential to make one's court for example and pretty verses is sufficient to prosper and even farther than can be imagined great faults shall be forgiven you but the least ridiculous ones are unpardonable you think right and say excellent things but take care you do not sneeze it will be such an indecorum that all the babylonish gravity would not be able to hold and you might speak still better things and not a soul hear you be particularly careful to act entirely with reference to yourself and to talk always with reference to the public good it is a fine word that public good if you would it will never enter into your heart but it must always be in your mouth seek not the esteem of the babylonians in place that leads to nothing seek to please what think you will esteem do for you it is so frozen a sentiment has so distant a relation to self but amuse their highnesses and their eminences you will then be prized they will not suffer you out of their sight THEY WILL DO ALL FOR YOU, AND THINK THEY CAN NEVER DO ENOUGH. WAIT NOT TO SOLICIT FOR A PLACE YOU MAY BE FIT FOR, PROBABLY YOU WILL NOT SUCCEED. BUT ASK WITHOUT DISTINCTION, FOR WHATEVER SHALL OFFER. IT IS A SECRET TO YOU, BUT YOU MUST KNOW THAT IT OFTEN ENTERS INTO THE DEPTH OF TRUE POLICY, TO PREFER UNFIT PERSONS, AND REMOVE THOSE WHO ARE CAPABLE. IN FINE, IF YOU PROSPER, Turn according to circumstances, flatterer like a dedication, quack like a preface, verbose like a book of art or science, enthusiast like a demi philosopher, liar like an historian, foolhardy like an author who is resolved to be talked of. These are the true principles of wisdom, but remember it is the Babylonian wisdom of the eighteenth century. End of section 9